May the 7th, 2017, lecture discussion 282, number 282 on the Book of Romans. But before we can truly begin, I have to announce a few things. One is that today at beautiful downtown Cliffside is Kentucky Fried Chicken Sunday. Are we the smartest church ever or not? Yes, ever. Uh, and it's amazing how many have participated. And they're doing so, I think, because they know that it is post Cinco de Stevo, and uh, as that's the case, I have a few letters to read, just a couple, just for fun, and these people are just, and everyone that sent me, Samantha from Arizona, uh, she sent me prairie dogs that were fantastic, and there were all kinds, and I can't remember them all now, but uh, I just am stunned every time it happens, and I wanted to bring you some examples. Here is Michael from Ontario. Dear Pastor Chronister, the happiest of Cinco de Stevos, and he hyphenated Stevos, which is a common error, not realizing that Stevos does not have a hyphen in it. It's all one word. Everyone seems to know that. That's okay, Mike. May your pedestal forever be graced by medicine, and your most holy dry erase marker be filled with ink. <laughs> What's next? Risk it. I sincerely wish it for your sake it is. No, it is Kentucky Fried Chicken, Michael, which is fantastic. And hoping you are feeling loved today, and I certainly am, Michael from Ontario. Another one here comes from Dr. Uh, Peter in Adelaide, Australia. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, I just don't even know what to say sometimes about these. It's uh, very, very much fun. Hi, Supper Dave. So you can see who gets the mail now. If he exists. Uh huh. I mean, we're not sure. I, I have been told uh, recently that I have clearly the technological capability to form an artificial Supper Dave and pretend that he is here when in actuality he's not. And so, uh, those who, uh, who don't believe in Supper Dave will never believe. No evidence will convince them. See, those who do believe in Supper Dave need no evidence. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier, me and this person who may or may not be Supper Dave. I'll read this letter now from Dr. Peter. Hi, Supper Dave. I had to look up Talkeetna on Wikipedia. Personally, I tend to eat ice cream in summer, uh, in effect when it's over 85 degrees, but when it's over 110 degrees Fahrenheit, it's too hot for ice cream. But knowing Alaskans, I can imagine you eat it all year round, and we do. We consume more ice cream than anybody per capita, I think, in the country, certainly, but perhaps even in the world. We're crazy. My Russian friends make fun of the Finnish people. They say that you know those hot-blooded Finns only acknowledge summer being over when the maximum temperature drops below minus 20 degrees centigrade, about minus degrees 5 Fahrenheit. That's when they replace their summery short sleeves for long sleeve shirts. Winters in Adelaide uh, do get really cold. Occasionally, it even drops below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. I think I like Talkeetna, he writes. I have a cat, and I saw they have a cat as mayor. <laughs> they actually elected the cat in Talkeetna because the cat is the most competent uh, being in all of Talkeetna. <laughs> I've been there <laughs> a lot. I'm, I would have voted for the cat, uh, trust me. Our local mayor gets into office claiming to reduce salary and cost blowouts, etc., so he started by cutting his own salary by a minuscule amount and then appointed a chauffeur to drive his brand council-owned uh, Mercedes. Uh, anyway, he goes on to talk about his cat, and he says this finally, and I'll get to it. I don't want to read the whole thing, even though it's fantastic. Anyhow, I, and, and come and get it later if you'd like it. Anyhow, I suppose it's that time of year again. Pastor Steve must be really happy. I'm sure he has been bouncing around, announcing the most important day of the year is coming. Yes, as Star Wars people say, may the 4th be with you. Yes, it's officially the Star Wars birthday. Some people think it should be a holiday. Anyhow, all the best for Steve on Cinco de Stevo. I'm sure Steve won't be overshadowed by other events. And that turns out to be true. Then this is my favorite part. However, 
I finally worked out why Steve has his Coke on the pedestal. I was reading up about PQQ. It's an interesting substance with a real name, perroloquinoline quinone, and it is found in many vegetables. He put it in a phonetic language for me, <laughs> and that is very smart. <laughs> you thought I knew what it was, didn't you? No, you didn't. You knew that I couldn't have figured it out. Anyway, he says, it's found in many, in many vegetables. It is important for many metabolic processes in the body and has recently caught the interests of weight building community, of the weight building community. What he means is the weightlifters, the bodybuilders, where it is, where it is the supplement of the year. It is only ever found in trace levels. And a recent survey found that it's present at a very high level in spinach and soy. But the highest level is in Diet Coke. Is that fantastic? <laughs> so, Steve must be on a bodybuilding kick. Well, that's true. Drinking his bodybuilding supplements while lecturing. Talk about dedication. Of course, I have built my own body for years. I'm in great shape, if you can call a ball a great shape. Thank you for your hard work, Supper Dave. We in the vast Internet community appreciate your efforts and all those behind the scenes. Uh, Dr. Peter. So that's really cool. And then finally, uh, this one came and uh, it came today. We, it came to New Grace here. So, um, Pastor Chronister, hopefully this will arrive by Cinco de Stevo. Happy birthday. I've not written to you in a while, but we have, we still have a little band of weirdos that listen to Cliffside regularly in Collin County, Texas. First, thank you for the questions. Aha! And, and the occasional answer. See, people appreciate that. <laughs> I drive my local pastor nuts challenging him with some of your questions. <laughs> I'm surprised he allows her to come. <laughs> I also know that I make the light bulb go on for him sometimes. Speaking of questions, I have some. And Anne, I intend to do your questions. Uh, what she's asking about is the differences between Satan's condition and Adam's condition. Why did Satan be fully cursed and Adam did not? We've covered that a little bit. Also, why was the tree of life essentially physically guarded? What did that accomplish? We're going to be into this subject, Anne, so next week I have your letter and I will take care of it, so thank you for writing. Uh, but that gets us into today's lecture. Actually, it fits perfectly, so I'll go ahead and address it to make sure. Under my theory that if somebody writes enough and wishes a question to be answered, it probably is a question for many. Okay. Thanks to all that wrote. There was, there was so many, maybe six But I, I just enjoy it. I got 50% of my own family to call on my birthday. That's pretty strong. That might have been the best year ever, yeah. Eric and Lindsay were walking through New Orleans. He's at a music symposium, and she's at an event down there for her work in, in the medical industry or field. And uh, they hired a band that had a banjo player and a trumpet player in it to sing me happy birthday. Now, is that fantastic? <laughs> <laughs> they were incredible. They were really impressive. Okay, enough of that. Uh, you might remember a few weeks back that I diverted into a program on television because I found it interesting, not that I found it intelligent. I found it interesting. There's a big difference. And I went into this current wave. It's a current wave of artificial consciousness discussions that are increasingly prevalent in our popular media. Media And mostly it's now in the movies and television programs, but it goes all the way back to Pinocchio. We were discussing that today. This is the Pinocchio story, just done a little bit more fancy. And one in particular was focusing on an android, and you might remember, I hope you do if you were here, that began to create reproductions of actual humans. So the android developed the capability to make replications, and including the replication of the memories of the humans. So was able to capture the memories of these individuals, actual people, and create carbon copies, if you will, to use a euphemism. And the premise ultimately evolved into whether the imitations were distinguishable from the original. 
and did the imitations or the counterfeits believe that they were the actual individual or the actual original human itself. And naturally, I had great difficulty with this, withholding my inclination to mock. Um, how can I describe what it is? The unreflectiveness of the writer's concept. I would wish that he would spend some time. I recognize he has uh, a schedule to deal with, or they do, but uh, the product was not contemplative to be kind. It clearly is intended for teenagers. And that, of course, interests me. Which, as we know, this intention for teenagers, that's the current condition of the graduates of higher academia. Go back and look at what it was required to graduate from the eighth grade in the early 1900s and compare it to the college curricula of today. Generally, our colleges are sending forth boneless chickens. And they're indoctrinated. They're actually almost without... Well, they, they, they have limited capability to reason. That would be more fair. And they have no interest in the complexities of life at all. They are... And some of us... We all do, but this this being controlled by machinery, whether it be video machinery or computer machinery, where these children are today, they're just so attached to it, they can't break themselves free. It's hundreds of hours. I was told per month, I was told of one man's daughter, he is in despair. He cannot get her away from her computer. Can't do it. 12, 14 hours a day. And then that was mentioned to me again yesterday. Someone knew another uh, young girl who was also just soaking into her uh, equipment. I, I blame a lot of things, but there's the colleges are producing um, a parade of crying, weeping children seeking only to mollify their feelings. And that, of course, is a preteen, a 12 to 14 year old. But I digress here a little bit. Truth be told, I don't hold the colleges or the education system responsible. I hold the church responsible. I have hardly any expectations of governmental educational monopolies. I expect governmental systems to be uh, failures, frankly. The church, however, should be releasing into the world men and women possessing wisdom and integrity and strength of character, able to withstand these kinds of trends. The church should be standing out from all of the rest, but that's not the case. The church is not doing that. The church is delighted to join in the rush to the simple. You've heard me complain about it for years. Entertainment value is how we judge churches today. Is the church entertaining? If it is entertaining, then we're, we're going to go to it as a population of Christians. An entertainment value is the lowest possible standard by one, which one should judge a church, but it is the current condition of the contemporary church today. That's a redundancy, I know. I used to tell parents when I was teaching high school, how long ago were you teaching high school, you ask? Many, 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 many years ago. And most of the students I had are now in their 50s. How about that? I have grandparent students. They look terrible, too. I've, I've seen a few of them. They are, they are just really disintegrated. How did I hold up so well? And this happened to you, I will say to them. <laughs> but I used to tell the parents when they would ask me this, because we saw it coming a long time ago, and I'd have them ask me, what can I expect from my son or daughter when they confront the professors at college? Got it all the time. They're ready to send their kids to college. And they would pick institutions that were destructive institutions. And I would tell them, I said, uh, I would respond this way, your children, your child will come home to you torn to pieces. That's what will happen. 
She or he is wholly unprepared. The church has abandoned them, taught them nothing. These Christian schools, I taught in a Christian school as well, as well as in the public school. The Christian schools did nothing to prepare these students. Your church has left them, your school has left them defenseless, I said to them. And it is much, much worse today, far worse. But I'm still digressing, aren't I? I'm ranting almost. Anyway, artificial consciousness. Let's just talk about the term artificial consciousness. Is there even such a thing? Is it possible for artificial consciousness to even be something, anything? Is it possible to possess an artificial consciousness, acquire an artificial, or any consciousness for that matter? And this essentially uh, was the parameters of the program that I have been watching. And it is okay for the baby to cry. It does not bother me. It might bother you, but get used to it. I will talk louder. Babies are supposed to cry. That's the good part. We have dogs barking in here. I mean, come on. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. It's happened a couple of times. We've had them run through the auditorium chasing the children. It's fantastic entertainment. We can, we can handle anything here. But, again, to repeat, essentially the parameters of the program that I was watching or have been watching um, has been this acquisition of some kind of consciousness, however they wish to establish it or define it. And I don't think the production staff of the show is likely aware of the implications of their hypotheses. I don't think they know what they're writing about. I think that is clearly obvious. And, and where they have gone is the predictable. What do you think the android has now done? The android has achieved a state of consciousness, of course. That's what androids do in these kinds of shows. And has transformed herself from a robotic condition to a free will existence. That's what the show has said it has happened. Technologically able to do this. And so, immediately, why would anybody write this if they had thought about it? Either they think you're stupid or they're stupid, or a combination of both. And how, in other words, this robot, identified in a woman, as a woman, has made herself a living being by her capabilities, her computer skills, if you wish. Really? How exactly... Has this been accomplished, you all ask incredulously, as you should? Well, the automation, the computer, the mechanical device, supposedly developed, again, the technological capability to create a human body. That's what the show says happened. So the robot made a flesh-and-blood human body. Uh, 3D printing is what it seems to show. Printed one. And made it out of flesh and blood. Coincidentally, the body looks exactly like the actress playing the role. And I thought, ooh, how convenient. <laughs> Why not? If I have if I have the capability as a computer to make a living body, and, and again, that's really in a touchy area philosophically here. We'll get to that in a minute. But if I have the ability to fill a, a body with blood and tissue that has uh, function, complete living function, wouldn't I also add some extraordinary augmentation? Why would I make me? I would be very disappointed if this is all I could make. I would do better. Considering the ability to make a body of any kind, surely the computer could do something original. Uh, but that didn't happen. More digressing. I'm now digressing into digressing. So, next, the computer, robot, android, call it what you will, gathers and transmits its entire mind that it has developed as a computer, robot, android into the newly constructed 
printed 3D, if you will, builded would be more accurate, right? The robot has builded a human woman body. Does that have any familiarity? Who has the robot replaced? And a robot has builded a human woman body. And upon revealing, in case you wonder where they get their inspiration. And upon revealing herself, so she transfers the robot, the mechanical android, transmits itself, gathers first all the information, transmits the information into this fully human body, and reveals herself now as fully human. And what is the first thing she says upon revealing herself? You might have watched it. Don't bother, I watch it for you as a trained professional. But she reveals herself with this phrase, essentially, I don't have it completely accurately, but she exclaims, I now have free will. Of course she does. That's the point. They repeat it constantly. This is the robot seeking to have free will. And that's important. That is Genesis 3. That is a discussion that should have been, that should be in every church all the time. See, the, the entire, you see, the entire pursuit of the computer was to exist. And how did the computer wish to define itself existing? It defined itself as existing to possess true existence as inseparable from free will. And the writers of this particular segment somehow lurched into this fact. And I, I say lurched because I don't think they know what they're doing. The actors certainly don't know what they do, uh, they're do. they doing. The actors are oblivious. That's Chronister's law of acting. Uh, Chronister's law of acting says there's an inverse intellectual proportionality. What I mean by that, the more so uh, emotive or the more so, the better you are at acting, the less sagacity you will have. It's an, it's an inviolate ratio. What I mean is that if you're a really good actor, you're dumb as a brick. That's how it works. That's Chronister's law buried, uh, brought down to commonality. And again, it's never been violated. Maybe once. Most of the time, it's perfect. That's why it's a law. It's not a theorem or postulate. Those who immerse themselves, who maintain a life based on pretentiousness, inevitably succumb to witlessness. It is just what you can expect. Please do not put any effort, attachment into people who do this for a living. It's a mistake of the church to worship these kinds of things. To rush towards these people and have them sign your handbag or your t-shirt or whatever. It does damage to them, and it does damage to you. I don't care if they're an actress or an entertainer of any kind or an athlete. Or the worst thing you can do is ask a pastor for an autograph. You have destroyed them. You've turned them into a mess. Now, hopefully, they can overcome it. You ever come up to ask me for my autograph? I have 300 jokes to tell you before, and there'll be one after another. You just can't do that. Not as a Christian. I expect it uh, uh, from the secular world. Not from the church. Every time I see that anti-dope public service announcement, you know the one that I'm talking about, the frying eggs, this is your brain on drugs. Every time I see that, it could easily be adapted. This is your brain if you're an actor. That's how I think of them. And that is the appropriate way to think of them. They have, they pretend for a living. How much should they get paid an hour? A dollar an hour. That's their value. That is not what we do. Something about the thespian profession, I'm getting off track. It's a magnet for the vacuous. That's Chronister's law again. Anyway, the robot now has free will. How did the robot arrive at this new free will existence state? Well, by transferring its mechanical processing system. Remember, it's a robot. So it has a mechanical processing system, a particle-based system. And it transferred that particle-based system into a human body. And that was simple, the author said. Easy as cake, winner, winner, chicken, breakfast. 
You notice how I keep bringing up chicken today. And I did this in anticipation that that incredible thing brought about by incredible people who shall remain nameless, but we have given great honor to Betty for what she has done. <laughs> Obviously, the genius authors of this unthoughtful nonsense have supposed that the body is the source of the free will, haven't they? All I have to do as a robot is get a body and get myself into it and presto changeo, look at me now, I have free will. Now, I say here free will existence, but you know that's a redundancy. I do it on purpose. It's an intentional redundancy. So let's ask the question, is the body, the physical material, the body, is the physical material of us, and we are not the body, but let's go with the premise, is the body the origin of the mind? That's the question that's being asked here. Does the mind emerge from the gray brain matter? We can take a brain out of a body and analyze it now. Hopefully the person is deceased. Not always, but they, they can. They can remove brain matter. Is the mind coming from that brain matter? Isn't it likewise obvious that the mechanical robot computer, if we grant the, the premise, simply moved its digital information from one physical machine to another physical machine? That's all it did. How would you get will from that? Why would a body provide free will? Will is not a material property. It's an immaterial. It's a mental property. Therefore, using a little basic reasoning. How about that? Elementary school reasoning skills. It should be apparent that a non-physical property, a mental function, must originate from a non-physical source. You can't get will from a machine. Now, they lurched into that. They don't know it. Maybe somebody will have told them by now. Again, some disagree. There is a large body of philosophical analysts out there. They're adamant that the mind emerges from the body. They're adamant. It's called emergentism, as you know. They, they say the mind is created by the body and then somehow seizes control of the very body that it came from. That's their, that's their view. And it should be obvious why they cling to this thinking. Uh-oh, thinking is a mental property. They do it because they do not want there to be a soul. There's a soul, then there is no explanation for the source of the soul, and certainly evolution cannot evolve a soul any more than a computer can create one. I've been waiting for somebody to create a computer that can cause evolution to accelerate, and we'll find out that evolution is instantaneous. Duh. Descartes, as you know, the mathematic philosopher a few hundred years ago, he said, I think, therefore I exist. If you wish, you could put it this way. I have a mind, therefore I exist. Descartes concluded that free will existence, a redundancy, is a product it's evidence that free will has a non-physical conception. That's what he meant. I think, therefore, I am. There is no explanation for thinking except for a spiritual origin. As you know, God is adamant about this in Scripture, John 4, 23 through 24. I am spirit, he says. You have to know he's spirit. God is spiritual. He breathes into the body and the body lives, Genesis 2-7. So the spirit breathes something into the body and the body lives. What do you think the something is if he's spirit? Do you think it's physical? No. The breath of God, the life, the breath of life, the soul, the spirit, the mind, that which causes the non-physical, the thinking, the thoughts, the will, that's God's breath that does that. That's the breath of the spirit God. And free will is a process of the mind. The body is a physical system that reveals the mind's thoughts. The two components that interact. The breath of life 
is the spiritual process. And so, which one's responsible for our free will? It should be obvious. Did God breathe into the constructed body that was fashioned by the computer machine? Because that's what he would have had to do for that body or that machine to have a will. That's not in the script. They didn't stop and say, the computer made a body. The computer wants to transfer its information to the body. But first, God has to breathe into that body. That's not in the script. It's impossible for a machine to receive, to fabricate a body that creates free will and transfers free will or that has a spirit of any kind that makes a robot live. The only thing that makes life is the breath of God. End of story. No life can come from a physical process. It must come from a spiritual process. Christ alone is the breath of life. The triune Godhead is the breath of light. And this is basic Cartesian algebra. It's math. That's why it's not in the script. Because these are actors. These are pretenders. They don't, they don't do math well. Chronister's law of acting. It's a general statement. There might be an exception. Please send me the exception. I'll wait. How can man or any created being then, let's take it to where we would have to go. How can you kill the breath of God? Have you ever asked yourself that? You can't kill the breath of God, can you? How would you kill the flamethrower? Nuclear systems? Cruise missiles? You're going to kill the breath of God. What has the breath of God in it? What does the Bible say? You figure out what contains the breath of God. He tells us. How can man or any created thing extinguish, destroy, annihilate the breath of God? By what means do you extinguish, annihilate, destroy, eliminate completely, erase from existence? How do you erase the breath of God from existence? So what happens to everything that has the breath of God in it? This is you. Who's going to come along and get rid of your breath of God and erase it from existence? How could you possibly do it? What else has the breath of God? You see where I'm going, I hope. You come up with a way where you think you can erase the breath of God. Let someone know. You'll be the first one. It's impossible, isn't it? Is it possible to affect in any way the breath of God? In the sense of bringing the breath of God to an end, it's impossible. There's nothing you can do. Which is why the Bible says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear me, Christ says. I have authority over the breath of God. Now, how can Christ have the ability to control the breath of God. What's he saying? Fear me. What's he calling himself? Who is he calling himself again? Does it all the time. Who can have authority over the breath of God? Only God himself. Okay? That was fun, wasn't it? Maybe not. Let's start talking about Satan. You'll Hopefully you'll see how it uh, uh, comes back into the Satan discussion here. Satan has made himself an an... I'm starting your question today. Here on page 8. And I got your letter today. One of us is amazing. Satan has... It's not me. In case you were, you were going with that. Need some more steroids. I'm feeling particularly powerful all of a sudden. I should have some weights. I could lift weights, drink soda, do the lecture. That's such a good idea. I think I'll come in a muscle shirt next week. I, I'm, I'm giving that some real thought. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> my lovely my lovely niece niece is averting her eyes. <laughs> okay, I'll put a bag over my head. A lot of people have suggested that, but I, I'm getting inspired by Doctor Peter. Ah, <laughs> oh, where am I? I waited all to page eight for that joke. I could have given it to you way up here, but I said no. I'll use it now when you're all asleep. Satan has made himself the alternative to God. Consider that for a second. He's the alternative. This is typically referred to as Satan being a counterfeit or a forgery or an imitation. Again, why did I bring up artificial consciousness? And all of those that I just said, counterfeit, forgery, imitation, all those are appropriate. There's nothing wrong with that. But I suspect that Satan has a different perspective. We're the ones that call him a counterfeit. Again, appropriate. I don't believe he does that for himself. I think he would describe himself as a choice, as a selection, as a preference. You can choose God or you can choose me. What does God have to offer? What's the first thing God has to offer us? Grace, excellent answer. Mercy. Outstanding. You just eliminated an entire page right there. But I'll keep going. Grace, mercy, love, salvation, eternal life, reconciliation. That's God is over there with a sign. I love. Satan is over here. He would say he has another thing uh, that he offers that uh, we'll get to in a second. If Christ or God... Same thing. Christ God were to assign himself as the tree of life, choose the tree of life, Satan would describe himself as the tree of knowledge. No. Choose knowledge of good and evil. And I have long applied the description to the tree of life as, I I call it the tree of life, and I call the tree of knowledge of good and evil the tree of surely die or the tree of death. Boy, I can barely talk. I wonder how much steroids are in each can of Coke. Someone should have the capability, who would that someone be, to send me the exact dosage per can. Just a suggestion. These are things I might need to know. I have called it the tree of life and the tree of surely die for most of my so-called career. And I do so for obvious reasons, since choosing to take from the tree, from this tree, the tree of surely die, results in physical death, the curse of physical death. But Satan, I think, would protest that uh, nomenclature. He would argue that the tree of death does not end in death. That's exactly what he did, right? He doesn't call it death. In fact, he, he, that's, when he countered the countered the argument of the woman at Genesis 3-4. He said, you will not die. You will not surely die. So we began, what does surely die mean? And we ended up saying we have physical death, the first death, and then we have surely die. We have die, you will surely die. There's two dies in the sentence, and that description is that talking about the second death. Consider that Christ has promised to those who believe, all who believe and call upon him will be saved from the second death. He did not say you would be saved from the first death, did he? Saved from the second death. If you believe in Christ, you will be saved from the second death and resurrected from the first death to eternal life. So all of that is what he is promising. And that raises the most obvious of the obvious questions. What are the promises of Satan? What if we have a choice here? What's the choice? Satan and his seed, the Antichrist, or the opposite Christ. Does Satan promise eternal life? He does. Sign up here. Take the pen. Here's the yellow nowhere paper. Sign. Here's our deal. Oh, and if you sign, I'll make a mark for you. I'll put a mark on you that you signed. What is he promising? 
how does it work that people sign up for Satan's system? Why do they do it? He promises. Now, is it a deception? Oh, yeah. How much do they know? What would be the difference between Satan's eternal life and Christ's eternal life? Remember, you cannot be destroyed. You cannot, you have the breath of life in you. I can't annihilate you. It's impossible. You will always exist. You have the breath of life. The breath of life is intricate, intense, I'm sorry, um, inherent in you, intrinsic. What did I say? Intricate? How did I get intricate out of intrinsic? This particular can must not have as much steroids as the other. I wonder if the plastic somehow accentuates the steroids. Uh, maybe, maybe I should have a bottle. The aluminum might collide with the steroidal effect. Steroidal effect. Anyway, I could do this for weeks, this joke. Thanks, Doc. What's the difference between Satan's eternal life and Christ's eternal life? Satan's would be a place of non-interference. By that I mean God does not apply. God does not intervene. God withdraws. The grace of God, as Bill pointed out, is not offered, is not given. In fact, it is removed as an option. The grace of God cannot be given anymore. It is taken away. It's off the table. Who would choose a place where God's grace isn't there? Where God himself isn't there? Who would want to live? You cannot be destroyed. The breath of life stays with you. You can imagine the pitch, can't you? Okay, you have the breath of life in you. You can't be destroyed. Death is an illusion. We have finally decided scientifically that death is an illusion. You cannot be destroyed. So, you can either be with God or you can be not with God, right? How many people would choose to not be with God knowing that they're not going to be with God? Well, that's pretty obvious how many would choose. How many are coming here to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken today? Pretty much everybody's got his own bucket today. I mean, this is fantastic. My point is, is that the whole world chooses not God, doesn't it? They don't want God anywhere near them. Why not? Clearly, Satan says, well, he's constrictive. He's, he removes options from you. You won't have free will with God, will you? Because you won't get to sin. You come over to my proposition, you will have this fuller life of sin where you get to choose whatever you want to do. God won't put any governor on your acceleration to sin. Everyone chooses that place. Seems like it today. Evidently, one-third of the angelic realm did it. Most of humanity chooses it. Why does anyone seek to be in this state? What's their reasonings? And this is very similar to last week's question. Satan sought to be like the most high God. Isaiah 14, 14. And in his pursuit of being like God, I was going to put a bunch of stuff on the board, but I was worried about the time. I think I can do it. Because I went really fast. I'm going to be like God, the Most High. So, Satan, the most incredible intellect ever created, said he was not going to be God, but he was going to be like God. And what has he done? Because we can figure out what he's thinking, what's going to make him be like God. We can figure out what like God means to Satan by... What he has accomplished. What has he accomplished? What has Satan done? Well, he took one-third of the angels with him. And where are they? They're in the abyss or the pit. 
Tartarus. And what else has he done? What's that? Yeah. Bill said seven eighths of humanity is probably more like fifteen thirty or fifteen sixteenths. Dead. Not just physically, but both. So first dead, second dead. That is how he gets to be like God. And he knew that. Killing and murdering, sending people to the lake of fire, and Satan's logic and his reasoning makes him like God. How is the deaths of billions of similar beings, uh, how, how is the death of, of billions being like God. Somehow it is. Have you figured out Satan's logic? Because there it is for you. All you have to do is look at the results and extrapolate back. Killing billions and billions and billions is Satan's way of being like God. How is that logic? What is the anatomy of it? Now we'll read Genesis 3.1. And hopefully you have uh, begun to process all of this. I have led you here. Today is the day that I answer questions, sort of, occasionally. Here we'll read Genesis 3.1. So all of these things are in here. And the one thing you have to do is do not underestimate Satan. Try to think the way a brilliant, brilliant being would think. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. So, the serpent is more cunning. The serpent is fantastically cunning. More so than any beast of the field. Eh? Notice how I'm repeating that. Now, let's go to 3.14. And the Lord God said upon, uh, I'm sorry, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, so far I have the serpent and the serpent. Because you have done this, oh my goodness, you have done this, that becomes so important. That is Ann's question from Texas that I started to read earlier. Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Oh, isn't that interesting? Serpent is repeated. And beast of the field is repeated. So we know now that these two guys are side by side. I hope you see the that, that the obvious of that. That three fourteen the serpent is cursed above, more so cursed than all all cattle and every beast of the field. Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And the repeating of the phrase beast of the field immediately connects the two verses. And you should recognize, i got to put these things together and see what's here. What does the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field really mean? Because it means something. And it's far more complicated than we probably think. Remember, this is pre-fall. The earth has not been cursed yet. It doesn't get cursed until Genesis 3, what? 17. We're at 314. The earth has not been cursed. It's in the state of Genesis 131. That's a state of goodness, Genesis 131. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Also remember, remember also, the cursed list from last week. How am I doing? Hardly have time. Maybe I do. Satan is, uh, this is the cursed list. These are the things that are cursed. Satan is cursed above what? The cattle. All the cattle. The beasts of the field.
and the earth. Or the ground, same thing. That's the cursed list. Remember that? And thus the great question of Genesis 3.14. Why are the cattle cursed? Why are the beasts of the field cursed? And they're cursed before the earth is cursed. And Adam is not cursed and Eve is not cursed. That's the cursed list. This is somehow connected The cursing of the cattle, it's in a satanic context. It's about Satan, so therefore there's a relationship to Satan here. It's connected to Satan's sentencing. I can barely say Satan's sentencing. Can't say it. Satan's sentencing. To get that over-enlarged tongue out of the way. It's fat. Can Can your tongue become more fat? Okay, just curious. Oh, oh, oh. Someone suggested that it might be related to the steroids. I'm just glad she's still listening after 45 minutes. She's a relative. (laughs) They usually go down to the nursery and leave. They don't have anything to do with me. (laughs) I'm not exactly the good sheep in the family. In case you were wondering, Adam's decision brings physical death to the earth for our sake. That doesn't fit with the cattle being cursed and the beast of the field being cursed. Satan is cursed above the cattle and the beasts of the field. The connectivity to Satan suggests the cattle and the beasts of the field are somehow involved There's complicity. There's collusion. How can a cattle and a beast be in collusion with Satan somehow? The serpent, clearly, everyone's always wondered, how did the serpent get in here? I could put serpent here with Satan. The serpent has to crawl on his belly in the dust. How? Why is the serpent involved? I have collusion. Most commentators would say somehow the serpent got involved with Satan and Satan went inside of him. And he stood up in the tree, and then they, God cut the legs off of the serpent and made it crawl on the snow or on the ground, and that's how it all worked. We don't really know, but they forget every time that the cattle and the beasts are also cursed. And how can that be? This more cunning than the beasts has always been a difficult verse. Scholars have struggled it for centuries with it. And Satan is more cunning than the, than the beast. Now, I'm going to take it and combine them now, just in case you wonder how I get here. Satan is more cunning than a cow. That's what it's saying. What? I connected 3.14. I made a leap to Genesis 3.14, in case you're wondering how I got to the cunning cow. I'm combining 3.1 with 3.14. Now, I've been around athletics my whole life. I have never encountered a sports team called the Cunning Cows. It's never happened. Oh no, we're going to be playing the cows. I've never heard that phrase my whole life. Here they come. The thundering cows. But these are wicked cows. Beware the devious cow. Here comes the wicked and her cry of dread. Moo. Right? Does that make sense? More cunning than the cow. Well, yeah. It seems at first glance that, of course, Satan would be much more formidable an adversary than a cow. So why, what is this doing here? Why even bring this up? Satan filled with wisdom, overflowing to the point of the brimming is almost going over the side of the cup. The most filled with wisdom of any creature, certainly he can outsmart a cow or cattle. Let's throw in donkeys and goats and sheep. I mean, how tough is this for Satan? So, so what? Of course he's far more intellectually gifted than any beast. Why is it necessary for God to make this point? What's really being said here? How do we begin to figure it out? There's really something there. Or he wouldn't have put it in. 
God wrote it. It's his word. So how do we figure it out? What do we do? I want to know about the cunning cattle and the beasts. What do I do? Well, we always do, Pinky. We start collecting cattle references. What's the most prominent cattle reference in all of the Bible? Golden calf. Absolutely right. For those of you on the Internet, every single person in the class said golden calf. In case you were intimidated. What else besides the golden calf? If I were going to say the next reference to cattle that is the most prominent in all of Scripture, where would I go? Yeah, I would go to Psalm 22, actually Genesis 14, where I have the bulls of Bashan. So we're going to have to connect the bulls of Bashan, the golden calf, and cattle. And beasts... Bulls of Bashan, again, 14.5, Genesis, Psalm 22.12. Beasts are symbols of empires. We just did Daniel 7, didn't we? Uh, but So that, that Daniel 7 clearly is part of this equation. But the opposite Christ, or the alternative choice to Christ, is called the beast. He is the beast. The beast of beasts. So off we must go into the meanings of cattle and beasts. I need to say that Psalm 22 is the most misunderstood chapter in all of the Old Testament. I didn't read Anne's letter, but she brought up Psalm 22 correctly, I should say. In my opinion, Psalm 22 is not referring to Christ. My God, my God, why why have you forsaken me? That is not referring to Christ. It is referring to the hind of the morning. That's the title of Psalm 22. I have two Bibles here. One of them says Psalm 22 is the prayer of the crucifixion. That's the King James Version, uh, the old King James. The other one, uh, it, it absolutely definitively says, let me go to it quickly so that I get it accurately. It says that, uh, it says, The deer of the dawn. One says the prayer of the crucifixion. The other one says the deer of the dawn. The deer of the dawn is correct. It is not the prayer of the crucifixion. Christ is reciting the deer of the dawn. The hind of the morning. Which is Israel. In Psalm 22.6, that applies to Christ. That's the crimson worm. But the Psalm 22.16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed... I'm sorry, let me go 22.12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. That's 22.12. And then here's 22.16. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have torn off my hands and my feet like a lion. Now, your Bible might say, they pierced my hands and feet. But that's not defensible. And Christ is is not he he how much of Psalm 22 did he recite or sing as you've heard me say we don't know but clearly 22:6 is about Christ 22:12 22:16 that is about Israel the hind of the morning the deer of 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 dawn is being ripped asunder by the bulls of Bashan the cattle. And the hind is Israel. Never forget when reading Psalm 22, if Christ is ever not God, if you ever have a position where you say he's not God, you say that Christ is being torn to pieces, that Christ is afraid, that Christ is crying out in agony. If you do any of that, you have declared him not to be omnipotent God. And if he is never not God, he is never God. If he is not always God, he is never God. Psalm 22 is the cry of Israel at the final battle of Jerusalem. And they are crying out to be saved from 
the bulls of Bashan. So who are the bulls of Bashan? Because they will cry out to Christ, My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? They are calling out to Christ to come and save them. Does he come and save them? He does. From the cattle. Bulls are cattle. And they're described in the Bible. There's 60 references to the bulls of Bashan. And we're going to have to go through what? At least three of them. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. (laughs) And so next week, who are the cattle of Bashan? Let us rise to be dismissed.